Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. <laughs> This is Jeff Fedoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in KC and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valerio and I are joined by Nate Taylor of The Athletic. Thanks so much for joining us, Nate. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I appreciate both of you all. So it's fun to like chat, uh, you know, virtually as best we can during the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, first thing, Nate, I was curious. We're getting a little close for the deadline on Chris Jones. You're, you're, you know, and follow the team so closely. How do you see this shaping up? Do you see him sign a long-term deal? Is there going to be a holdout? Could he even get traded? What, what's the scoop? Yeah, so thanks for having me. And it's something that's been on my mind for the last two weeks, right? And I've tried to get a good sense of where this may go. But because of the pandemic, because you don't know when training camp starts, because you have no idea how the season's going to look in terms of how many games we're going to play, what is the testing regimen going to be for training camp of the regular season, I find it hard to think that both sides are going to agree to a long-term deal at this mm-hmm. point. I think it's more likely that the Chiefs call Chris sometime before the July 15th deadline and basically say, hey, it's an unusual offseason. We love you. We've given you the franchise tag to sort of prove that to some degree. But they know they have to make a deal with Patrick Mahomes to make him the highest paid player in the league. Um, he's the superstar quarterback. So that deal's already going to that deal's going to happen. But I just think from a cap standpoint, and because you just don't know how the year's going to go, they're going to ask Chris to give more loyalty and more faith to do this one more year and then say, hey, let's revisit it, you know, in 2021. Maybe we're two-time Super Bowl champions. Maybe you have another great season. And hopefully the world isn't what it was. Mm -hmm. You know, we tried to make this situation, you know, as best as we can. I just think Chris wants, you know, to be paid in a respectful manner, whether that's 20 or so million dollars for our premier defensive lineman, but I just don't think the Chiefs feel that they can do that right now when they have so many other concerns before we even know what the season's going to look like. Yeah, that's an interesting proposition, and that's great insight, Nate. Thank you for sharing that, um, coming right from the inside. That's a scary proposition for somebody like that in his position because of what you see with these long-term deals coming for other players. And God forbid, you know, the knee, the shoulder, the back, the neck, you know, all those things that the defensive linemen struggle with injury-wise. And if he doesn't lock himself into something that could set him up for a lifetime, which, you know, we all know how, you know, treacherous it can be playing defensive line, he, he's going to probably be thinking about that in the back of his mind, don't you think? That, you know, he could be setting himself up for his future. And if he takes a gamble on that going one more year thing, you'd hate to see, you know, something like that happen to a player like that. Um, 
and he might, you know, he might miss out on, on a lot of guaranteed money if he doesn't do that long-term deal. Do you think that's playing into his, his factor and whether or not he accepts something like that? Yeah. And when you look at it from Chris's standpoint, I think he's done just about everything you could ask a, a, a premier top lineman who's played out his rookie deal. Mm-hmm. There was, there was some contention last offseason, Joe, with the idea that like, Hey, maybe I'll hold out do the mm-hmm. best I can to sort of, push this issue forward and see if the team uh, is willing to sign me now versus, you know, once my rookie deal is over with, uh, which was this four-year contract. And the team basically said, let's play out the rookie deal. You know, it would be setting a new precedent if we gave you a, a contract extension after three years instead of four. And Chris showed up on time. He showed up the Absolutely. On time. He played really well last year. He obviously had a huge impact in the postseason, particularly mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter against the, the 49ers yeah. where he just sort of, uh, put his, you know, imprint on the game from a defensive standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, people will argue, and I don't disagree with them, that it's either Aaron Donald, DeForest Buckner, or Chris Jones. Like, yeah. pick one of the three as yeah. the best interior defensive lineman in the league, and you really can't go wrong. And so the issue for Chris is, well, DeForest got traded and got a contract extension. Mm-hmm. Aaron mm-hmm. Donald is obviously making the most money of anybody sure. at the position. And Chris Jones is unfortunately in a situation where he got franchise tagged. So we, he will get some money in the short term, but you're taking on a lot of risk. Like you mentioned from an injury standpoint, from yeah. just where the team may be a year from now. And look, nobody knows how free agency is going to look next year anyway, right? because of mm. how does the season look if we play 12 games? How right. Does right. If there are no fans in the stands. How does the contract situations, you know, how does that go with the, television contracts that are supposed to be, you know, obviously large and that's supposed to help the, you know, the salary cap take a boom. But if all those things have some level of fluctuation that we're not mm-hmm. accustomed to, it could obviously squash his market if he is going to be a free agent next year after he plays out sort of the, the franchise tag. So it's a complicated situation. In yeah. some ways from a human element, I feel bad for Chris because it's like, what do you do? Sure. Okay, try to do what you did last year, win the Super Bowl and hopefully make, you know, generational wealth after the fact. But it's it's going to be tough for him just because I don't think the Chiefs – I just, I don't know if the Chiefs feel comfortable trying to figure out a solution where it's going to be what he wants and, you know, Chris is going to sort of give enough sacrifices yeah. in the long term as well. No, especially when you're seeing long-term deals with nine digits, you know, coming mm-hmm. and, and a lot of it guaranteed. I mean, I, I don't – I totally understand where he would be coming from if he didn't kind of, I'm going to use the word in air quotes, no one can see it on the podcast, but it, you know, kind of, uh, you know, doesn't accept that offer because it's, you know, he's got to be thinking about that. It's, it's a tough game. And then you bring up another great point. What are all of these capologists and, and contract negotiators, negotiators going to do when, when all of a sudden you've got, if I get X amount of sacks in a season, I get this, or if I score this many touchdowns, I get this. And you shorten that game down, you know, the season down to 12 games or whatever. Right. You're going to have to, like, prorate all those things. I mean, mm-hmm. it's going to be yep. it's going to be a lot of job security for people at the front office trying to figure out how to make this all work, you know, if it works. And I, I'm, I'm really anxious to hear, like, you were giving us all this great insight. And I was going to back us up to, to the beginning before we even asked you any questions about the Chiefs. How are you – how is the media right now getting all of this information? We know that, like, in – the good old days. I, you know, my wife always jokes around. She calls it the the, uh, the before times, right? Before like we've all been locked into our homes. 
like, you know, you have, you know, Andy's having press conferences, coaches are having press conferences, GMs are having press conferences. You're at this, you're at your, you know, if you're at a, at a, at a news station and in, in television news, you're at the station, you're kibitzing, you're talking with people. Like, how are you gathering this stuff? How are you doing it besides just absorbing what's out there? Are they hosting, you know, tell our listeners, are the coaches and GMs hosting press conferences, Zoom? Are they doing Skype? Are they, you know, Microsoft yeah. Teams? How, yeah. how are you getting all this great information? So a lot of it is trying to build as many, you know, rep, you know, relationships and rapport that you have with people in the organization. I will say this, that, you know, uh, fortunately for me covering the Chiefs, they've been one of the teams more open in terms of having Zoom press conferences with Andy Reid. Obviously, we've talked to Patrick Mahomes uh, a little bit. Uh, Tyron Matthews has been great with us. We've spoken to him on several occasions. And so what's odd is that you know that the team is having its own, you know, sort of virtual remote off-season program. Uh, you, you know, if I have a relationship with guys, you can talk to them about certain stuff. It is weird for me because I was really – I don't want to say close with Dustin Colquitt, but because he was in the locker room for so long, mm-hmm. he provided yeah. a lot of context of things um, and kind of give you an understanding of what's really going on. The thing that I tell people all the time is obviously agents play a big role in all of this. They are trying to represent the player uh, as best they can from a monetary standpoint, making sure that they're going to be uh, given their sort of roles on the field that have been promised to them by the team. Um, I think talking to agents about the situation with Chris has been interesting, not just Chris's agents uh, on their own, but just like you mentioned, how does the salary cap affect all of this? And a lot of agents are sort of having their own conversations, trying to figure out what might be next. And I think the last time I traveled, which is hilarious to think about, was the combine, right? It was in Indianapolis. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was in Indianapolis. It was late February. And it is one of the few times all year where you do get to have every coach, general manager, you know, scout, agent they all kind of come together we all sort of talk and and exchange ideas and so right around that time was just when the DeForest Buckner situation was starting to heat up so you Mm -hmm. kind of got an understanding of where from a defensive line positioning where that sort of market was going and I could ask a bunch of people in person you know which is better than than anything else versus text messaging or on the phone or zoom like we're doing um sort of asking like hey what do you think is going to happen with Chris Jones and you know, Brett Veach, the general manager of the Chiefs at the time, said, made it pretty clear, we're, we're going to retain Chris one way or another, whether that's the franchise tag, whether that's a long-term deal. And they have not wavered on that standpoint. So it's good that um, the Chiefs came into the offseason with some level of a plan, and they're trying to fulfill it as best they can, with the cap sort of being squeezed on them from how much money and flexibility they have. But I think from an insight standpoint, we know where kind of Chris stands in all of this just because I've talked to him a ton last year about like, Hey, you know, you tried it a year ago. You're going to have to try to do it again. Basically, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, uh, you want the respect, you want the love. He's mentioned before that he wants to stay with the chiefs. He has not made any comments both publicly and privately that he wants to go play Mm -hmm. elsewhere. So he's made his sort of, you know, he's made his feelings known to both the organization Mm -hmm. and to, you know, reporters around the team. And so, it's interesting to see as we get closer to that July 15th deadline, okay, not who's necessarily going to flinch, but can these two people, can these two parties communicate well enough to where they both understand one another, no matter what the outcome is. Yeah. I, 
I mean, first of all, when you start talking about numbers like $20 million, like I, I choke a little bit because, you know, <laughs> I know, I know. if you guys, I started in the league, you know, in 1991 and it was pre, you know, pre Reggie White, you know, case and before unrestricted free agency. So, you know, while the money was fantastic, I never, never would ever complain. It's, it's decimal points, you know, compared to some of these numbers. So it's hard for me to like really like get an idea of how to relate to it. But, you know, you, you, you put yourself in a situation and, and fans, you know, it, it's, it's easy for them to say when they see these big dollar contracts from say, Oh, well, why wouldn't, you know, he's a chief and we won the Super Bowl, And why wouldn't he just take the 20 million and play the year and, and get back in that, you know, of the 20 of the 22 returning starters and run this thing back. Right. But, you know, they, they, they forget that like, you know, first of all, you know, half that money goes in taxes and agent fees and expenses. And so, you know, while the 20 million, you know, sounds great. It's 10 million right off the, as soon as the check gets cut, it's 10 million. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, when you're thinking about that, you you wouldn't want to put somebody in a position where if they could be looking at, like you said, generational wealth, 30, 40, $50 million in the bank, when this is all done, you wouldn't want somebody like Chris Jones, not that he would, and not that any NFL player would in the back of their mind thinking, God, I just got to take it a little easy. And maybe, maybe I won't play in this game because, you know, my, my knee is tweaked or my back hurts and I, I don't want to risk being seen by another team as a, as an unrestricted free agent to go after that big contract. I mean, it, it you know, it's got to play on people's minds when they're thinking about the difference between going after 20 million right now in, in staying with the chiefs versus signing that four or $5 million contract that could literally you know, set him up for life. It, it's as a, as a former player, like I said, talking about decimals of that kind of money, it, 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 it does play on your mind about how you extend that, that out. Cause mm-hmm. you, you see it happen all the time, right? You see players, they get hurt and it's, and yep. it's a game, it's a physical tough game. And, and, you know, I, I, I really am pulling for Chris that the chiefs and he can work this thing out and, and they can, they can do exactly what everybody needs done. Support Chris and all that he has done. I think you nailed it right on the head. He has given everything this team. Yeah. He has done it all right. I mean, he has done it all right. And you and hate how for about him. that Super Bowl performance, you know, that Nate mentioned. He, you could have argued that he had a case to be MVP in the, in the Super Bowl. I th- we we talked about elections. that, Jeff. Yeah. Remember, we, talk, we talked about possible MVPs, and, and uh, he was right at the top of the list. And when's the last time you saw a defensive tackle, <laughs> defensive end, win the MVP? And we thought, Jeff and I really did, and no lie, Nate, you can go back and, and listen if you're bored and listen to some of our old podcasts about it. But we talked about him being the MVP of the Super Bowl. So I, you know, I'm all in. I'm all in on Chris. I, I, I hope it works out for most importantly for him, but but for the fans and, and for the organization too. Yeah, the, the last thing I'll – one more thing that I'll say about the franchise tag and trying to explain it as best I can as much as I understand it from talking with people around the league is if you're a quarterback on the franchise tag, it's kind of an inconvenience, but, like, you're the quarterback. Like, you're still going to play – all 16 games, you're still doing, you know, you have to be the leader. You have to be sort of all in. You have to know the playbook. You have to be a leader. You have to, you know, play the game and still lead the team if you're a quarterback. So for someone like Dak Prescott, it's like, you know, it's kind of an inconvenience that you don't have a long-term deal. But, like, quarterbacks make more money than most guys in the league anyway. So it's not a big deal um, if you're a franchise tag. If you're not a quarterback on the franchise tag, it is one of the more stressful situations in your career because of all the things we've mentioned earlier, Joe and Jeff, the idea that like, obviously there's an injury risk. Um, 
not to mention that, you know, the pandemic may change the league in some way, shape, or form moving forward financially. Um, and then because NFL careers non-quarterback related are already short, right? Mm -hmm. The average player plays maybe three to four years. Once you get a franchise tag and you have to play it out, you're one year older, your market decreases to some degree because teams know that you're not as young as you used to be and you may get that player that is at your same position who may be just as good as you in the draft. So the franchise tag is stressful because you're reached, you've essentially reached the prime of your career and you're supposed to make, you know, that second contract that is generational wealth, but at the same time you're squeezed and there may not be as many teams who are available to you after the franchise tag as there were before, which is why the Kirk Cousins thing is so hilarious to me. The idea that he got franchise tag twice because no team wanted to give him money. <laughs> the Redskins were like, I mean, we can't, can't really draft anybody and have him this is good of a quarterback. So, like, let's do it again. And, like, yeah. you know, it, it, it really does sort of put you in this, like, you know, weird position if you're not a quarterback to where, okay, I'm making decent money, like we mentioned before, but a lot of that goes away immediately when you sign the deal and there's no guarantees for what's next for you because nobody is going to know how that season's going to play out, if you're going to stay healthy, and then what the market for that position will look like with another, you know, fresh set of, you know, draft class to be there for a team to choose you over as well. So it's it's tough, and it'll be interesting to see how much of that chemistry in the locker room will change if Chris, one of the biggest, most vocal guys on the team, is upset with the idea that he's in this weird position compared to all the other stars on the team who are financially secure to some degree based on their contracts. Yeah. Nate, that's Great awesome point. insight. God, that's that's fantastic. Nate, how do, how do uh, our listeners – follow you, find you. I mean, we know, tell, tell them, you know, where, where can they find you? Social media, you know, yeah. talk about the athletic, tell us about you and you know, what, what, what your, why this is so interesting to you and why you've chosen this path. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's been fun for me to be a part of the athletic for almost three years now. Um, if you care to find my tweets and Instagram stuff, it's uh, it's pretty easy. It's the same as my byline. So it's at by Nate Taylor. Um, it's, it's pretty easy. Uh, I do not try to bombard people on social media, but I do try to give them as much uh, information as I can at, in real time as it relates to the team. Um, the best thing about my job, and I think people have tended to notice this, is that I'm from Kansas City. Yeah. So I have this pretty much institutional knowledge because I watch Chiefs games with my dad on the couch every Sunday. Um, you know, when when you guys reached out and wanted me to, to, to join you guys on the podcast, I was like, yeah, I've known, I've known Joe for like <laughs> – for like decades this is great um you know me personally i would always want to ask you about i think it was a week two 1994 against the 49ers oh yeah yeah <laughs> it's like the biggest joe valeria moment that comes to my mind immediately but yeah i, I know much of chief's history either before my birth but because of my dad and my grandfather mm -hmm. and since then because i've just watched just about every game um since i've kind of understood football. So I can take all that, you know, historical information and use it in some of my reporting, bring more context to it. I find it striking that as soon as I started covering the team, they got really good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I think good. it's 
I think you should take the credit for it. Yeah, Why I don't not? think that's a coincidence at all. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> all that information you were feeding to Brett Beach and Andy yeah, Reid yeah, and yeah, Eric Bieniemy. Hey, run this play. You know, put yeah. Patrick on this one. Do that. No, I'm. I'm. Take the credit, man. Why not? <laughs> yeah, some, some of my friends have been very, uh, very quick to sort of mention that. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, just from from everything that I've understood football to knowing that it's obviously it's a great sport. It's I love the team aspect of it, and for people who care about the athletes who want to know why is a team good or bad, uh, all the conversation around Andy Reid, can he do it? Can he not? Like, is it ever going to happen? To be there from rookie minicamp and you go through the draft, you go through all the OTAs, you feel um, as close as you can be to the action without obviously having to like physically put my body out there because God knows I would never do that. <laughs> like what you guys do is incredible in a lot of ways because I see more things than like the obviously than the common fan. And so we're trying to provide that insight to our readers at The Athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 been Last year was was a joyride, the understanding yeah. of, like, this is how it works. You know, I've never covered a championship team from a professional level before, so last year was the first time doing that. Um, you know, Jeff knows that when we're in the press box together watching Patrick Mahomes, I kind of laugh a lot of times yeah. because it's it's not humanly possible. Like, you shouldn't be humanly possible. How do you do that? How do you do that? And then we go, and then me and Jeff will go down to the locker room and we'll just, we'll just kind of be like, this is stupid. Like, this is like, how is anybody supposed to beat this man if he's fully healthy? And I remember, and Jeff, tell me if I'm wrong, but I remember we were in Chicago together for that Sunday night game against uh, the Bears. And I think that's when I knew like, okay, not only is Patrick healthy again, but like, okay, maybe, maybe they are real contenders, yeah. even though it was kind of an up and down mm-hmm. journey. Mm-hmm. And then that proved to be that proved to be the case. Um, so it was a historic year. I was, you know, obviously proud to be a part of it. And um, knowing that, like, I was from Kansas City, the only time me and my friends would ever envision the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl is through Madden, you know, like through franchise <laughs> mode on the video game. It's like, oh, this is what it would look like if it ever happened. And now we got to see it kind of in, you know, in real life up close. And, um, and yeah, so it was, a, it was a great journey. And now, you know, year three for me on the beat is a lot of like, why do teams not repeat? And how much of that will be a part of the reporting moving forward with obviously throwing in the pandemic. And, you know, they've kept a lot of their core players back. I know you mentioned that earlier, Joe, 20 of the 22 starters from last year. Mm-hmm. So how much can they sustain their, their sort of level of, of excellence? And, you know, the more I do it, the more interesting things that I see that I can connect to the past history and just where the league is going as well. So it's it's a fun job. I love obviously talking about it. I love that you guys um, allowed me to join you guys. But being from Kansas City helps me a ton in terms of trying to cover this team as best I can. Uh, that's so obvious. And that's why I asked you that question because I could – I mean, it's palpable. You're like your passion for for the city, for the team. You, you, you grew up there. You left. You came back, which is – you know, that's awesome. And, and I think that just – it comes through in, in the way that you portray the team and the way that you represent the team and the city in, in, your, in your communications and your journalism. So I, I just think that's awesome. And, and I, we need more of that, I think, in journalism. You know, I think we need more people who have – and I'm probably going to use this term wrong, but like a vested interest mm-hmm. in it rather than just somebody who jets in, 
you know, like sometimes at the high level, you know, at like the ESPN level, yeah. right? You just have these people covering teams and they don't really have that. Again, I'm using this term probably incorrectly, but that like vested interest, right? That passion, that history that you talked yeah. about of, of, of up the ups and downs. And, and I just love that. I, I love that number one about Kansas City because there was a playing there in the 90s. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of people who did have that vested interest. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's something I always appreciated about the media and, and the approach that, you know, you, I go back to, you know, like the Len Dawson, right? How, did you, how yeah. could you not watch Len Dawson? The guy did it, right? He won the Super Bowl. He was there. He stayed in the city. He he's raised his family there and, and did all those right things. And that that's a, a really awesome thing um, about Kansas City. And and I'll I'll tell you, we, Jeff and I were talking about Christian Okoye on Tech. I go all the way back to Tech Mobile, not just like Madden football, <laughs> yep. but like go back to those teams. And I think the thing that's so different about it, as as Jeff and I hit this crescendo like every podcast we think is this going to be like the last one of the season like is this the good and then they win and they'd come yeah. back in the fourth quarter and we hit this crescendo and I think the thing about it that is different and and I know a lot of people will pin it on on this um you know on, on this effect is is the Patrick Mahomes effect I think that's what this team has that no team had for the Chiefs ever before when I think about that really really good era in the nineties, you know, the, the uh, you know, it started with the, that unbelievable defense, right. That, that they had built and they built on that. And then they built the offense around it, but we never had the quarterback. It was always the missing piece. And what the chiefs did and, and, and what the organization did is they took a shot on a young guy and said, we're going to build And If Patrick Mahomes would have gone, Oh, and 15 in his rookie season, <laughs> Oh, and say, I still think it would have been the same. Yeah. Because they, they would have they would have built, and that was something that we missed in the '90s. The team was never able to take that risk and saying we, because what what they were so afraid of is we've got this we've got this Super Bowl defense. Let's just get a quarterback who's not going to lose. Yeah, right. We've got a great running back core. We've got good receivers. We've got good line. Let's just get a quarterback who's going to be who a game manager and not lose the game. And it started, you know, no, no offense. They were awesome quarterbacks and they were great teammates. I'm, I'm not disparaging anything they did or being critical, but you know, it started with, you know, Steve DeBerg, Ron Jaworski, <laughs> Steve DeBerg, you know, Dave Craig, yep. Joe Montana, even though he's Joe Montana, it was still yeah, somebody in, who, yeah, he was in the twilight yeah, of his career. Yeah. We were, we never in that, in that era, we Marty and the team never said, all right, we're going to draft somebody in the first round we're going to throw them out there. And if like, like the Cowboys did with Troy Aikman that yeah. first year, would they go two and 14? I can't even remember way, but we're going one way, and 15, way, yeah. way one and 15, but they said, you know what? He's our guy and we're going to build the organization around him and look what ended up happening. You know, they had yeah. a dynasty and I think that's where the chiefs are. And that's why they're so different now. And I was just wondering what, you know, having grown up in the city, do you see the same kind of parallels, but yet they added that something extra with Patrick. I mean, do you think he's the X factor that really, got it done yeah when you when you look back at 2017 so like you know I, I've told the story a, a couple times but in 2017 I was covering the Indiana Pacers for the newspaper in Indianapolis the Indianapolis Star and um kid you not like obviously don't know what the future holds have no idea that I'm going to cover <laughs> the Chiefs in like less than you know 18 months basically and so on draft day in 2017, I was covering, obviously, the Pacers. That team was getting ready for either the – I think they were in the playoffs or they maybe had just been eliminated from the playoffs. I can't remember. But I remember calling my dad or, like, my dad calling me when they, when they took my homes because it was such a shock. And, you know, he's been 
<laughs> a Chiefs fan all his life. And I called him back and, you know, we started talking and, and my dad is like, we drafted a quarterback. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like what? Because I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it live. Right. And so I, I go home and, you know, I turn on ESPN or NFL Network, one of the, one of the, you know, stations and they start showing like, okay. And, you know, one of the highlights of draft day one is Patrick Mahomes, you know, the chief, you know, the chiefs traded up 17 spots. It was essentially perfect timing for the organization. The more I've talked to people after the fact, you know, Andy Reid had obviously built a, a an established core. Um, Alex Smith was coming towards the end of his contract and sort of was facing like, you know, phase three of his career essentially, but was still really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brett Veach basically convinced, you know, John Dorsey, the general manager at the time, Clark Hunt, and Andy Reid to say, if we're ever going to win a Super Bowl, if we're ever going to really compete at, like, the highest level of the league, mm-hmm. you have to draft a homegrown quarterback, develop him with a ton of talent around him, and just see what happens. Because, you know, they had not done it since 83 with Todd Blackledge. Right. So um, Clark Hunt was a little bit, you know, I won't say desperate, but was was eager to try a new approach. Andy Reid, because he's a historian of NFL history, knows, okay, I have the coaching ability. I have the support system around him to, to make this work. We've identified this guy. Let's see if we can go get him. And then it was up to essentially John Dorsey and Brett Veach to try to, as I've framed it, bamboozle half the league. It's a <laughs> that they were going to take somebody not named a quarterback. Some right. people thought the Chiefs were going to take Deshaun Watson, when they moved up, some people thought they were going to take a defensive player because they sort of had put out, you know, sort of the feelers that, hey, maybe we you know, maybe we need better help on defense to support Andy Reid. And the Bills wanted to move back because they had cap situation problems where they needed more picks. So it all worked out. I mean, it, yeah. it is really perfect timing. But I always think back to that night where my dad's like, no, you got to like, you got to like watch these highlights. And like, I don't know if I watched a ton of college football because I was so invested in like the NBA and, and yeah. where college basketball was going. But then they then they put on Patrick Mahomes' clips and I was like, oh, like yeah. this yeah. this may work. Like I don't deal. Yeah. This like how does he make that throw? And just like, mm-hmm. you know, and so I, I'll never forget my dad being like, you know, hey, maybe they didn't, maybe they made like a really smart move. And I was like, maybe they did. Who knows? And yeah. then you know, in the 2011 and 2018 draft is when I joined was when I joined the beat, when I started covering the team. So less than a year from them taking Mahomes is when I started covering the team. And then obviously seeing Mahomes' debut against that, you know, against the Broncos, Broncos team in week 17. And then realizing, okay, he can make every throw. Like, mm-hmm. not, 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 just, not just most. He can make yeah. all the throws. And that can open up Andy Reid's playbook, you know, in a multitude of ways. That's obviously been the case. But – but yeah, um, me and my dad talk about that all the time. Like, he, none of us knew that I would be covering the team. None of us knew how good Patrick Holmes could be. But everybody knew that night that that was a pivotal moment in Chiefs history. The idea that they, you know, the organization finally took a gamble, like you mentioned, and said, mm-hmm. this, this needs to be the thing to put us over the top. And the only way we're going to find out is if, we, is if we try and do it. Yeah. And since then, everybody in the organization has basically told me either on the record or sort of off the record, the idea that, like, we knew, but, like, we didn't know exactly that it was going to go this well, that it was yeah. going to be yeah. this 
hurt. Who could have predicted? Yeah, it, it makes yeah. me think about it. Makes me think about Andy and and Donovan McNabb. Uh, there's some parallels there. You know, he Andy got booed when when they announced Donovan McNabb. Right, Donovan yeah. McNabb got booed. Well, Philly boos everybody, but that's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole nother story. But but you know that was it was a pick that was like that. You know, where the Eagles said, all right, we're going to go for the we're going to go for the best guy available. And Donovan was that, and look what they did. I mean, they you know NFC championships. They went to the Super Bowl, and they didn't win the big one. But you know, Andy found a lot of success with Donovan, yeah. and it was a very similar situation to to what the Chiefs had have done with Patrick. And, and I think Andy probably in the back of his mind, subconsciously, as they were pushing for Patrick, he had to have been thinking about the success of that philosophy with a quarterback like Donovan McNabb, who was at that time a total package quarterback. He could mm-hmm. run, he could scramble, he could throw. He, he, was a, he was a quarterback who could run. He wasn't a runner who happened to be a quarterback. Right. And that's where I always said about Patrick. He is, he is a drop-back quarterback. You know, as crazy as those runs like he made in the playoffs, like, oh my, is he a running back? Like, you know, he, he really is a true quarterback. So it's a, I think Andy probably found a lot of comfort in his success with Donovan um, and how he was able to, to work, it, work it out with Patrick. Yeah, and the thing that I've always said about Patrick is that uh, we have not reached his peak, and that's the most terrifying nice. thing. Isn't that scary? He's twenty-four. I mean, yeah, that's, twenty-four. That's... He hasn't. He hasn't really. He's only played, you know, a handful of games still, and um, I don't think he's reached his peak. I don't know if we've entered the prime of Patrick Mahomes' career, but historically, guys tend to be at their best around years four, five, six at the quarterback position. So, um, if that's the case, the Chiefs should be you know, one of the, you know, big contenders for years to come. Nate, for our last thing here, just going to put you on the spot. We don't know what's going to happen with the, with the season, if it's going to be short, if what, what complications could arise. Uh, assuming it, it, it does get played as, as we hope it, it does. Do you think the Chiefs repeat? Man, I want to say, I want to say yes to some degree, although NFL history says no. Um, so, so sorry, Chiefs fans. Like, both <laughs> usually it's a no, but like, how many teams who repeated have Patrick Mahomes, like we mentioned, sort of injury mm-hmm. their prime? So they're going to have to have some injury luck. They're going to have to, you know, be as strong as they were towards the end of last season. But I tend to say no. I just don't know what team is going to dethrone them, right? Is that going to be the Ravens? Will the 49ers repeat? and get back to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I'm interested in the Colts and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But I think – I really think it's a 50-50 sort of proposition. I mean, the Chiefs are still the betting favorite to win the Super Bowl right now, um, and that is not usually the case for a repeat champion. So, I want to say yes, but, like, history says no. But, like, that, we've never seen Patrick Mahomes, so I don't know. That, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like, I kind of think, you know, 20 of 22 starters, and like you said, Mahomes, the whole coaching staff usually use – you lose coaches when you win a Super Bowl, yes. but man, it's, it's hard to repeat. It really is. It's, it's, it's incredibly hard. And, and we're in the longest stretch. You know, I wrote about this in the athletic, the longest stretch in NFL history where a team has not repeated. So we've gone 15 seasons now where it's been a different champion every year. Wow. Totally. Well, Hey Nate, thanks so much for joining us. I mean, this is a great insight and uh, just uh, for the listeners out there, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate to the show. Rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories: iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Thanks, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.